You're listening to The Rush, sports and entertainment law stories presented by the Drexel University Thomas R. Klein School of Law, Sports and Entertainment Law Society. I'm your host, Louis Sorokin. On today's episode, we sat down with Randy Browse, a workers' compensation attorney out of New Jersey who represents the New York Giants and New York Jets as outside counsel. We had a great conversation with Randy about general tips for attorneys, young attorneys, law students, and those of us looking to make interesting careers out of areas that you might not expect. So without further ado, here's the interview. Good morning, everybody. My name is Louis Sorokin, and I am a 2L and secretary of the Drexel Sports and Entertainment Law Society. Um, as well as chair of our podcast committee. And I'm also joined today by my co-host, Sean Marais. Hi, good morning. And we're excited this morning to be hosting Randy Browse. Uh, Randy graduated from Cornell University with a BA in economics and a JD from Boston University School of Law. The early part of his career included a substantial emphasis on criminal defense, civil litigation, and real estate. Mr. Browse handled numerous criminal matters and tried nearly 40 indictable cases to verdict. He previously served as a municipal public defender and prosecutor for the township of Scotch Plains. He's been selected by his peers as a super lawyer by New Jersey Monthly. Randy has significant experience in workers' compensation, regularly handling trial and appellate matters for carriers, self-insured, and public entities. His diverse client base includes the New York Giants and the New York Jets. Randy's also a lifelong resident of New Jersey. He is married with three children. He's actively involved in youth sports, coach soccer, baseball, basketball, and lacrosse. And he serves as a board of trustees uh, for the New Jersey chapter of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. So, Randy, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So we'd love to get started by uh, learning a little bit about your background, how you got into the line of work that you're in, uh, both as a workers' comp attorney, as well as with the specific client base that you represent with the Giants and Jets. Well, like every, everything in life, a lot of it's by accident. Uh uh, I, I went to Cornell University. I actually graduated early and I uh, decided to uh, go to Europe and I ended up teaching tennis in Austria. And uh, I had a choice of going to law school and um, or teaching tennis in Austria. And I went to law school and I, I have one more week of therapy and I think I'll I'll I'll, I'll be OK. But uh, no, I attended uh, Boston University School of Law. And at that point, um, I really in know where what direction I was going to take. I, I, I uh, was offered a job in, in Clifton, New Jersey, uh, doing work in New York and New Jersey. Uh, we were representing banks and some some other entities. And I at that point in time, I decided that I wanted to uh, uh, do more litigation. So my sister, who's also a lawyer, she was doing a lot of work with the public defender's office. And I joined her in about give or take 1990. I'm dating myself, I know. But uh, and I uh, we, we handled hundreds of uh, cases for the public defender's office. And we did uh, other matters, other types of litigation, some personal injury. Uh, now, my father was an attorney as well, and I never really intended to get involved with his business or his or his uh, or really work with, with him. And it just things developed. He did. Uh, he, he represented uh, employers and carriers and workers' compensation cases, and I started really helping him out. I never technically worked for him, and then one thing rolled into another, and I, I decided to take over his practice, uh, and that that happened, I guess, in the mid to late 90s, and I've been doing a, a tremendous amount of 
workers' compensation defense ever since. I also, I still do litigation. Uh, every once in a while, I do criminal matters. I don't really do that anymore, uh, but I do do other types of, of civil litigation, uh, litigation defense, uh, and things, things of that sort. So it, it, the thing about workers' compensation is um, it's a little bit different type of practice. I guess the, uh, the marketers would call it a boutique practice. Uh, but it is actually a, 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 a fun practice. It's very collegial. It uh, doesn't have quite the formality of other types of litigation, certainly if you're talking about federal litigation. Uh, it's a, a sort of a people-type business, which I enjoy. And so uh, I, I've been doing that for a long period of time, and I've, I represent, as you said, you know, different types. I represent universities. I represent some sports teams. I represent carriers. I represent self-insureds. I represent municipalities. And uh, you see everything from uh, a broken finger to uh, today, unfortunately, uh, the COVID crisis. So it's it ranges it ranges the gamut for young lawyers, which you, you folks are or soon to be. Uh, if you if you're interested in the medical aspect of of, of legal cases, it's a great way to learn. Uh, medicine because you have so many cases and you really uh, the economics you have to teach you know uh, teach uh, teach the medicine to yourself you have I've had Lyme disease I have COVID I have fractures I've had I've had heart cases uh, I, I have catastrophically uh, injured individuals where you uh, you have to uh, remodel remediate homes so uh, you know I guess for disclosure we should say that Sean was my uh, assistant for a while. And uh, um, I don't know, he'll say whether that's good or bad, but but Sean was exposed to some of this while he was working, working for me. And yet he still decided to become a lawyer. So I guess that's, that's not a bad thing. It was everything that I had expected it to be and more. So solidified my, you, you forgot the part, Sean, you forgot the part where I wrote and he was the best boss I ever had. Isn't that what we had? <laughs> rehearsed before you coming on today that was the actually the most important part of it all <laughs> no no doubt randy randy was a uh, a really big uh impact on my choice of becoming, or at least entering law school he uh any any time i really needed uh advice about you know legal practice being a lawyer uh, considering law as a career randy was always there uh to provide extensive amounts of uh, advice so um i really did appreciate it yeah, there's, there's always great value and great mentors, and it sounds really like that's the relationship the two of you have, so that's wonderful to hear. Uh, so we want to move on to our next question, actually. In, in similar um, vein to what we were just talking about, you mentioned about the ways that COVID has sort of come and impacted the specific medical aspect of the work with being yet another condition that comes up with, with the, uh, the work itself. But overall, how has the pandemic affected uh, the day-to-day -day of the work and the substance of the work and, and just overall what uh, working in workers' compensation has looked like for you? Well, it's, it's really, I mean, it's had a, a, a really profound effect. And I know everybody thinks they work harder than everybody else and, and everybody can complain. But the one thing about workers' compensation, the very nature of the practice is it's a volume-based practice. Uh, it's a no-fault basis. Probably, you know, some of you may not be familiar with it uh, because it's a little bit of a, a niche area of the law, but you know, to simplify it, it, it the, the fault is taken out. If somebody is injured at work, the question is, what is their disability? 
So you don't have all the pretrial maneuverings, although there's, there's, there's motions that have to be made. Uh, and it's a volume business. And the, the way it works in New Jersey, I do New York and New Jersey, but predominantly uh, New Jersey is uh, law firms that specialize in this have what we call lists. There, there, there could be anywhere from 10 lists. I've had lists as big as 60 cases. And you go to court and you would sit down with the with the workers' compensation judge and your adversaries would come in and out during the course of a morning or or the afternoon or both. Uh, and obviously, with the pandemic, we're not showing up in person. So as someone who predominantly does represents employers and carriers, we have the list. We, we have to write to the judge. There's a lot more clerical computer work. I'm pretty, although I'm pretty, I'm pretty good with computers, but I, I, I joke to one of my colleagues that I'm not a lawyer, I'm a typist now. So in, in terms of the day-to-day -day work, there's a lot more, it, I say it takes five to 10 steps to get something that I would, Lewis, if you were my adversary, you'd make me a demand. And I'd say, what do you want? I'd say, okay, I don't think I can get this. I'd go back and I dictate it. Now, I, I got to tell Lewis that it's, it's, it's on for Tuesday. Here's my marking. Hold, hold, email me back or maybe the judge. And I've got to go to the judge and I've got to talk to the judge. And then if we settle cases where we would have people show up in court, now it's all, all done by, by paperwork. So in that, from, from the day-to-day -day grind and my secretaries, my office staff, uh, they're working, doing unbelievably good work and a lot of work. It's just, it, it's just a lot more work to push out or get the same result. Uh, and then from an economics factor, uh, nobody likes to see anybody get hurt, but the reality is that if people aren't working or if they're working at home, I represent a lot of school boards where you have custodians and grounds people who are involved with, uh, uh, you know, the day-to-day -day aspects of running a school, there, there's less of a volume. There's less of a volume for people who do personal injury. So from a pure business standpoint and law, there's a business aspect to law. It's, it's, it's challenging uh, in terms of what what uh, I just had a conversation with someone this morning about what what is going to happen in the future in terms of how we're all running our businesses. Very interesting. And it, it really sounds like there's going to be some lasting impacts that have yet to be seen. And I want to ask you, um, what advice do you have for law students who are currently looking to build our professional personas and our professional reputations as far as um, inevitably hoping to have interesting clientele like you've had over the course of your career? Well, uh, the first thing is to keep an open mind. I, I mean, my father did workers' compensation. And if you tied me up and said, would you rather die or do workers' compensation? It would have been a long uh, thought process. I never thought I was going to get involved with it. But uh, we, we sort of put, just as we put people in boxes, we put certain aspects of the law, areas of the law, Keep an open mind in terms of of opportunities that that come along and and, and keep an open mind in terms of who you speak with. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things, because I see so many people, uh, you know, people are really interesting uh, in terms of what, what they like to do. I mean, some I got I, I, I had more job offers working at Hands and Faneuil Hall in Boston than I did from my uh, at law school, quite frankly. So you talk to people, you know, we're, we're not, uh, I sometimes joke that there's more lawyers than people. So there's a lot of law, you know, you might meet somebody. You may, I understand people are interested in sports law. That There's so many 
I, I was talking to somebody today. I mean, sports law is not just, uh, you know, co-storing with the rock on ballers. I mean, for example, there's licensing agreements. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, different things. You're, you're running a business. There's there's employment law. Uh, and so you first have to take opportunities and you have to be aggressive and you have to. Um, it's like human nature. I mean, plenty of women who I asked out said no to me, probably more than said yes. Uh, but the things that I remember are the person who I was interested in, who I didn't have the courage to to go up, go up and talk to. So if you're interested in something, se send a letter, uh, talk to somebody. All they can say is, no, I remember my roommate uh, had a interview lined up and he didn't want to go. I just showed up. I got the job. I, it was it was a job offer in Maine. I, I didn't I didn't take it. And if you if you get the opportunity to work in a law firm, probably the people who know as much as the lawyers or the clerical staff, the secretaries. I mean, I, I my first job, you go in there, you don't know how to file papers if you didn't really work in a law firm before. Uh, and, and it doesn't just have to be law. There, there, there's companies, there, there's brokerage houses. Uh, take take advantage of people, you uh, you know, and and look, I'm not as well versed as you or Sean or probably some of the people who are listening in terms of uh, all, all the online forums. Uh, my daughter's a senior in college and she told me about a forum handshake, which I didn't I didn't even know existed. So um, I, I think it's just you have to take chances uh, if if you have a job offer and maybe it's not exactly what you what you want to do. Uh, give it a shot. Talk to your, you know, your your colleagues, your, the students. Uh, if you know people in town where you're from, and, and don't be shy. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of no's before you get to yes. And and you can't, you know, a no doesn't mean that you're not qualified. I mean, I actually years ago, uh, you, this will be dating you folks because I'm a lot older than you. But Bob Wolf was one of the first agents. He started out as a hamburger joint. In, in in Boston. And he used to represent Red Sox players who got into, had DWIs. And then I guess in the 70s, sports exploded. And he used to represent Larry Bird and Doug Flutie. So when I was in college, I wrote a letter on a typewriter. It was probably filled with mistakes because we don't have the computers like you do. And I got a job offer and I came close. I'm not excuse me. I didn't have a job offer. I got a job interview. I didn't get the job. But um you know, if you don't take the ch chances, you'll never, you'll never get the opportunity. Yeah, I, th I think that really speaks to the value of, of networking and, and especially um, with the online um, access that we have nowadays. I know I've personally sent so many unsolicited LinkedIn invitations to people in all sorts of different industries and different regions just to have conversations and learn more about that. And I would always uh, encourage anyone who's looking to uh, just talk to people and learn more about different work uh, to always take advantage of, of LinkedIn specifically as a great resource for that. Um, and I also uh, think it's really funny. You mentioned about Hula Hands. I also worked in Hula Hands uh, the summer before law school. I waited tables there in Cherry Hill. So were you employee of the month? Because I, I, I don't <laughs> want to brag, but I was employee of the month one month. So I, I don't know that we had an employee of the month, but uh, remains to be seen if I would have had it or not. Well, but, you know, you meet a lot of people um, in those environments. You, you know, I mean, you know, all kidding aside, there's a lot of interesting people. You have people who want to be actors. You have people who are between jobs. You have people who are trying to finance their way through school. And, and you do meet meet a lot of interesting people. Absolutely. And I'm going to pass it off to Sean to ask the next question. 
So, Randy, I mean, speaking on the topic of networking, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've gotten like the contours of how you ended up with the Jets and Giants. But if you could recount the story of exactly how you actually started working with them, I think well, it was- it's a lot less sexy. I, I, I would than, than it may it may appear. Um, you know, one of the things about workers' compensation uh, is that uh, it's a lot of your work is driven by the carriers, the insurance carriers, because they write policies for all sorts of entities. And uh, some some clients, some insureds have the right to direct counsel. Some don't, and some they they don't take an active role in that. So uh, the Giants, I had represented through an insurance carrier. And when they changed carriers, uh, they were kind enough to uh, continue to use me when they didn't have to. And that's really how that worked with the Giants. And then when the Jets um, moved to New Jersey, uh, I had met somebody in California. I actually went out to a sports law conference in Phoenix. And I know the Giants had, you know, uh, and the Jets have some conversations and they were just uh, kind enough to give me a shot. And I'm, I'm fortunate to represent both entities uh, in workers' compensation in New Jersey. It's been very, very good to me. So I know that last time we had spoke about the impact of COVID, at least with respect to some of these players, you had said that New Jersey, I think, passed a law that established a portable prescription. When, yeah. when, you know, yes. You know, in a nutshell, Randy, what do you think is going to happen to that rebuttable presumption law in New Jersey when everyone starts filing all of their claims, uh, assuming that everyone you know, got COVID uh, five years, maybe seven years after their career actually ends? Uh, you know, I, I know like a lot, of, uh, a lot of players file all their claims at once or at least towards the end of their career because it's a lot harder uh, I guess, to separate whether or not they got it with the organization or some other event. Um, but COVID in itself uh, has that rebuttable presumption. So may you, I mean, it's very likely that they got it while playing. I, I know uh, <laughs> during the year while I was managing my fantasy football team, I panicked every time I saw, you know, someone had a COVID designation. So in a nutshell, what do you think is going to happen to COVID, at least with regards to um, uh NFL players claims in workers comp in the future? Uh, well, I don't think you're going to see a lot. I mean, COVID, unlike other types of illnesses, you know it, you, you know when you, you get it. In other words, you, you're not feeling well, you have a flu, flu-like symptoms, and you get a test. So in terms of really not just an NFL player or, or, or baseball player, or basketball player, you know, the clock runs, starts to run when you knew or should have known you had an injury. Uh, so in other words, if, if you're if you are diagnosed with COVID and you think you uh, contracted COVID at work, then your two year statute of limitation would, would, would start to run. So I don't think you're going to get somebody se- seven years down the line saying they have COVID like symptoms uh, and now they're now now they're just discovering it. And the presumption is, is very limited in New Jersey. The presumption applies to certain what is described as essential workers healthcare workers, individual, the transportation industry and the food industry. Uh, and and it's, it's a state-based system. So the federal government isn't going to be able to override it. I mean, I had, I've participated in other seminars where I thought it should be treated as almost a 9-11 fund 
because uh, you're asking municipalities, really that's because those are the frontline workers, the cops, the firemen, uh, hospitals, the nurses, the doctors, to pay for this when they're really the least equipped, well-equipped to do this right now. So I don't think you're gonna find an explosion in seven years. The question is, what happens to uh, Sean Morales when he has COVID? Let's say he's working at a grocery store and he gets COVID um, and he goes back to work and he's doing okay. You hear, you you read things about x-rays that shows changes in the lung and lungs and what creates a dis what is a disability with the presumption, is this a rebuttable presumption that if you're a healthcare worker and you have COVID, it's presumed that if you can demonstrate some connection to work, a patient had it, a coworker had it, it's presumed to be compensable, but the employer slash carrier has the ability to say, look, well, you know, Sean was a nursing assistant, but uh, you didn't see this picture when he went down to uh, spring break in Florida and it was with a thousand people drinking a beer. So we don't think Sean got it while he was was working for us. He, we think he he contracted COVID as a result of his personal situation. So I don't think it's going to change how you look at things. You're not going to get, it's not, I think what Sean is referring to in New Jersey, there's an occupational statute and you have individuals who let's say worked at a factory for 30 years and then develop a latent disease like, like asbestosis or some type of cancer. And then the, the clock starts to run. I don't see COVID as that sort of disease, although the information is involving. I mean, if, if you if you develop COVID tomorrow, you're going to know it and then you're going to contact a lawyer and say, look, is this something that that I should be compensated for? And then I'll probably be on the other side saying no. Very interesting. I, I, I think the whole uh, landscape of all of that is really definitely in flux. So it's interesting to hear that from the first hand perspective. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit uh, to specifically the Giants and Jets uh, clientele that you work with. Uh, so. As far as that goes, uh, it's my understanding that teams generally have an in-house counsel or a team of in-house counsel that handles much of their um, affairs uh, on the legal side. And so working with then outside counsel such as yourself must be a separate layer of interaction with how those organizations and front offices work. So can you tell us a little bit more about how it works um, interacting with those teams as an outside counsel? Yeah, it's interesting for me because the truth is, in most of my career, I was not dealing with a, uh, whether you call it general counsel or a, a senior counsel, uh, and and I, you know, I had to learn uh, really how to navigate everything because it was a bit of a, a new experience. And with workers' compensation, you're also dealing with a, if you want to call it a co-equal partner, the the insurance carrier. So the insurance carrier may deal with the day-to-day -day issues in workers' compensation, you have medical issues, if someone gets hurt and is accepted, the carrier will handle the day-to-day -day management. If you if you have a, a knee injury, uh, they'll arrange for the doctor in New Jersey because we control medical treatment. Uh, and, and then you get at the end of the case, what what is, what is the case worth? The difference with uh, football, it's a little bit different because you don't have a lot of the medical issues that you have with other types of cases because they're managing it. But in every step uh, of the way I'm dealing with their, uh, their their general counsel or their senior legal team in terms of asking for money, if there's controverted cases. And what what you have to understand, particularly as, as a long, young lawyer, 
you know, if I, I, I litigated, I, I wanted to litigate and you want to win. But what your first duty is to your client, it's not Sean's case or Lewis's case. You really have to figure out what your client wants. That's what that's what you're there to do. Um, you're not there to to get attention. You're not there to I mean, I don't go out and say I represent the Giants or the Jets. I'm fortunate to do it. And you have to understand is I, I, I'm an outside counsel. They can call me tomorrow and say, we don't want you anymore. My, my job is not to speak for them in, in other than to provide them advice in a very narrow area of the law. And and the other thing, if you get into you'll if you do any type of litigation, you'll have a case where somebody wants X amount of money and you may review the case and you say, well, I think this case is worth Y. And your client may say, well, I think it's I don't think it's as much as X. I think it's less than X. But I also think it's not as much as you want to do. And they may give you a number. And that is your your job. I, I talk to lawyers all the time who get upset when they ask for authority and somebody doesn't give them authority. And they, it's, I, I don't know why they do that. Your job is to assess a case as early as possible, put your client in a position to make a intelligent decision. And what you have to understand as a lawyer in any, not just in sports, you see a, a, a small piece of the puzzle. And if, if the Giants are this big, I may be this big in terms of all the things they have to consider. And so when they tell me something, I listen to them very carefully. And what I want to do is help them achieve what, what they want to achieve. So um, that, that, that's really it is. It's just being, you know, sounds sort of hokey, but a, a good listener, be prepared. I mean, the best thing you can do, you be prepared. Uh, it's not like you're coming in and you're, you know, you, know you, have a, you have a conference, you don't, you're not shuffling through pages, you know what your case is about, you know what the issues are. And, and people, if you develop a, a respectful relationship, they will respect, respect you if you tell them what you think. But I can tell you, if somebody tells you to do something, oh, I don't think I should do that. You know, I told you, the, I've been on calls with that. And, and that's, that's, not what your, that's not what your job is. Um, your, your, your job is to assess exposure and then try to effectuate your client's goals. That makes a lot of sense in the end. I mean, ultimately, the role of the attorney is, as you said, to do what your client uh, is going to want you to do for them. You're there to be their agent in, in the court with the negotiations. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, Randy, I mean, <laughs> you know, judge, uh, judging from our previous conversations, I, you know, like a lot of 1Ls are still kind of trying to decide uh, what field of law uh, I'm really trying to get into uh, sports law being one of those interests. But when you were in law school, what exactly uh, were you focused on? Like what, what, what exactly led you to start trying out different aspects of the law? I know you started out, uh, I believe, with criminal law, right? And then you shifted into workers comp. But like what, during law school, what were those formative experiences that eventually led to the uh, career that you have today? Well, my, my after my first, first, I don't know, I assume it's still the same, but probably there's more people, more of you folks working at a law firm after your first year than probably did when I went to law school. After my first year, I went out and taught tennis at a country club <laughs> and had a great summer, uh, to be very, very honest with you. And then my second year, I, I, I stayed in Boston. I, I think I was working 
uh, at Hula Hands at that time. I also uh, got, got a job with a guy who I'm, I'm still friendly with today. Um, and he had a very specific area. He was he was a scuba scuba diver as a, and a lawyer. And he worked, uh, I guess, as a volunteer in the Boston Aquarium. And he, he had he had an issue of of uh, the public trust doctrine, which is this arcane thing about um, the shoreline and what's public and what's what, what's private. And um, uh, and I worked on that during the summer as well. Uh, and then after my third year, um, you know, I, de I decided I was going to co come back to New Jersey and I decided I wanted to do commercial litigation or what I defined as commercial litigation. I had a couple job offers and I worked for a guy at a, at a Clifton and it wasn't really it was a lot of foreclosure work, which really didn't interest me. Um, and so I decided to uh, go and work for my sister at the time. She's a little bit older than me. And that's what that's, I wanted to litigate. I want to learn how to try cases. And I tried, you know, probably, as I said, about 40 verdicts, uh, criminal uh, cases to verdict. I had, you know, hundreds of cases, plea cases. I handled everything from, I did a homicide case. I did armed robbery cases. And that's really what I learned, how I learned because I wanted to litigate. Um, and at, at that point, you know, you, you folks are all looking to, to earn a living, I think the reimbursement rate for public defenders was $12 an hour in court. And I'm not exaggerating that much, but it was a, it was a good education. And then I, I was married and I, I needed to, you know, make a little bit of a living. And I, uh, I didn't, you know, you can't really have lunch with people who are in jail. Uh, and I just, uh, you know, I, 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 my father was, had some health issues and I just decided to get involved with that. And I liked it. And I was, I thought I was pretty, you know, pretty good at it or, or good at it. And then I, you know, things happened where I, I decided to take over as practice. So I, as I said, you end up in an area that you don't really know. I mean, you have to get a job. There's nothing wrong in being, being employed. So if you get a job with someone, go, oh, you know, I want to, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be Deshaun Watts' agent. I'm not going to take that job. Um, you may, you may never get a job. And then you find out there's a lot of interesting areas of law. You've got to balance what, how you want to live your life. Um, I mean, I went to an interesting, um, uh, Lewis and I were talking before his mother is a, does some workers compensation and she works for one of my clients. And I went to the, the where her, his mom works with, they had a panel discussion uh, with the North, he's a lawyer who runs the, I think, half of the country. And he was talking about millennials and how millennials will come in and, uh, and they'll ask about how many hours a week they work. Now, when I applied for a job, I would never, I, I couldn't imagine ever asking that question. And he said, you know, the, we sometimes laugh at that, but there's something that you guys face that I never really faced. You have a tremendous amount of debt. Um, when I went to Cornell University in 1979, you could figure out how old I am. My tuition was $5,000. It's now $50,000. You have economic pressures, you know, who knows what the, that, that none of us ha had. And he said, you know, you have young people who are well-educated, who have worked hard and wonder, am I ever going to own a house? You know, and so maybe the, maybe the, the, the trade-off is, well, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to be the next Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. But if I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm making X amount of money, I want to be able to go home 
to my family if I have kids. So there's all these things that you, you know they, that that you have to have to balance. Uh, if you if you're a litigator, um, it's a lot of pressure. You know you, when you're on trial, you're on trial. Uh, law in and of itself is a. I get calls all the time. So maybe you want to go to an in in house situation where you have less hours than if you're running your business. I mean, I've run my business for 30 years. I mean, I, I have had my accountant come in and say, you have to, you know, you got a $10,000 payroll and, uh, or you got to make this nut. And I said, well, how much is my bank account? And they say, well, there's zero. And you know, that's, 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 that's the joys, you know, people see you when you make money, but they don't see you, see you when you don't. So you, you guys, you guys and women, I say that, uh, you ladies and men, you have a lot of other concerns that we don't have. And now you're trying to get jobs in the midst of a pandemic where the economy, I mean, when I went to college, we didn't have cell phones, if you, if, if you believe that. We didn't even, I think the year I graduated was the first year people were bringing computers to school. So you have technological change. Um, you have a much more diverse workforce. You have men and women who are, I know we still have a long way to go, more co-equal in terms of you know, responsibility. So you, you know, it's your life as a, as one person told me, I, I don't really get nice cars. And I, I finally got a, I wouldn't say a really expensive car. And I went to the, uh, I had to get it repaired. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't normally get a nice car. And he said, you know, this isn't a dress rehearsal. You only have one life. And it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes or you don't learn, but you got to do the best you can. And you got to be willing to work. You know, if you think you're going to, you know, law is a tough business. If you think you're going to come in and know everything, I don't care if you think you're the smartest person. You have to be willing to learn and you have to be willing to work because a lot of it is just hard work. You got to be prepared. You got to read your file. It's not about, you know, being uh, you may not be the most brilliant order. You got to be willing to do the work. Sean, I don't know if your eyes have glazed over or you think that's just a wonderful response. <laughs> no, I mean, from the gist of your response, I thought it was just a lot of the formative experiences started in the summer. A lot of it required some kind of substantive work once you actually get into the field. But I guess my continuing question would actually be, well, if the difference now becomes, or if like our defining, if what this, if what is the substantive factor in helping us decide our career is the fact that a lot of us have a ridiculous financial burden. What exactly do you believe would be, I guess, skills or things that we should pick up in law school that would actually have practical use once we actually graduate? Because, you know, people uh, right after, <laughs> I can tell you right now, right after, uh, I think around two-ish, a lot of people, I, I'm fairly confident. A lot of people are going to go to like uh, a law review session because they want to know uh, what law review is actually all about. And I, I know, uh, I think Brian uh, had actually said law review was actually something that you would want to get into. I, a lot of my friends have also said that you want to get into law review and they're, uh, you know, older lawyers of the fraternity, uh, things of that sort. So like what experiences do you think would translate into the practical skills that we would actually need to, tra uh, to transition into, uh, you know, a solid career after law school? Well, first thing is you have to learn to write. Um, and that may sound basic, but communication is, is, is just about everything, how you present yourself. Um, but you, you have to commute, particularly where when I first started out, you'd call people, it's email, you know, you write emails. And so you have to learn how to succinctly communicate to whether it's your client, whether it's to your adversary, whether it's to, to your judge, 
to to the judge. You have to. I know I've said this, but there's you know when you're first learning, every everything is new. But it, it's preparation. Uh, you know, you worked on some of my files. You have you have to be willing to do the work. So when someone asks you a question, you know the answer. You have to. One of the th- reasons something like this is good. Uh, it, you have to interact with people. You want to look them in the eye. You, you, you're, you, there's people on this webinar who are listening to me. They're judging me how I look, how I how I present myself, how I speak. Um, we don't have as much as that now in the, in the pandemic, but you, you you need to look people in the eye. You have to uh, you have to respond to their questions and then you have to put, you know, you, you have to network, as Lewis said. That's that's a big deal. You have to use the contacts you have to get a job. So if you want to work all you want to work in sports law, for example, I'll give you I just got an email. I registered today. Fordham Law has a free sports law conference uh, i think on the 19th of march check it if, if i'll send you the link sean and i just i just uh signed up for it it's free i think until march 19th they've got everyone from jeffrey kessler who if you follow this he i think he handled the o'bannon case they have uh, jill kelly who i uh, she's going to speak for the giants so you, you go there now they talk they have some sort of networking thing i don't know what it is and i don't know how it's going to work in terms of uh, COVID, you know, I mean, when you, but so that's free. I mean, I know you, you guys have school S- sign up, sign up for that. Um, see if, see if there's any internships. Uh, if you, if you, uh, if you're from an area and you, if you're from Philadelphia, you want to work in Philadelphia, knock on somebody's door, uh, s- send some emails around. Maybe even right now you can't do it. If you think you want to go to uh, be a litigator, uh, go to court. I remember because my wife is English and I was visiting her and I went to the old Bailey. And I remember, I forget the guy's name. I saw this just so happened. There was a famous actor and it was about, I don't know why I remember this is something to do with a trust in Scranton university Go in, you know, you think you want to be a litigator, go, go to court and sit there all day and, 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 and see what it is. I mean, um, you know, if you call me, Sean, and say, I want to do this kind of law, I know people all over the place. It doesn't mean they're going to hire you, but maybe I can get you an interview or something. And it's like, it's like anything else. There's no magic. Look, if you're, if you ask me, um, the, the, the failing of law school is they don't teach you how to be a lawyer. <laughs> they teach you this esoteric subject um, with all due respect to your law professors. Most law professors don't go into uh, a law school teaching law school because they want to deal with the day-to-day grind of law school. So you get out um, and you don't, you don't really, you don't really know it. You don't really know anything. Now, if you, if you go to Harvard, it's going to be easier for you to get a professional football team to look at you than if you go to Drexel and that's no just, re- and, and if you actually read about this stuff, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell, your your law school and where you go to is a poor predictor of really your ability to be a good lawyer. So you've got to have some faith in yourself. Um, it, it, you know, uh, interviews are a beauty contest. Um, and that's why if the more interest you have, the more things you know. Um, I mean, I met a lawyer once who did stained glass. Crazy. He was He's retired now. So, you you know, that's 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 really what you have to do.
That makes a lot of sense. And a couple of other points that I want to highlight. Uh, Randy talked about the different resources and events that different law schools around the country put on. Uh, to anybody in our audience or anybody who's listening to this later on as a podcast, uh, Student Sports Law Network is a group that's been developed by some law students around the country and some professional uh, sports lawyers around the country uh, exactly to do this, to facilitate these types of events, webinars, uh, symposia, and so on uh, for students in our position to attend, just to get to know the industry, to get to know people in the industry, and so on. Um, they also have a, a group me uh, group chat that I've recently joined that's very active. People are always posting about the events that their uh, sports and entertainment law societies are hosting. Um, and our podcast has joined their network of podcasts from around the country. So we're really excited to be working with them um, and to be leveraging the resources that they've aggregated from all around the country in, in the sports law industry. And the other point I want to make as well, Sean talked a little bit about law review. Um, I myself am on the Drexel Law Review and would always uh, recommend at least attempting uh, to get onto Law Review right on um, and, and always see how it goes because it's been a great experience uh, for me. And I'm always happy to be a resource and answer any questions anybody ever has about that process. Yeah, I think you're right. I didn't really address the Law Review, but look, that's obviously a, a feather in anyone's cap. And you're writing real meaty stuff. Uh, so that that's a good thing. And, and employers will look at that. It doesn't mean that if you're not on law review, you should go home now and say, I'm never going to get a job. I can tell you I'm not on law review. So uh, and I've managed to do OK. But but anything you can do uh, that sets you apart um, is helpful. Absolutely. And especially if you have a niche area of interest, uh, what I found personally is, so I'm interested in, in music and entertainment law more specifically. Uh, and I'm writing my law review note about music and copyright. And so I have as a line on my resume, the title of my law review note, uh, even though it's forthcoming, it's still in progress, but I have it on there just to indicate to people who are reading my resume, this is my specific area of interest. And I've spoken to other uh, staff editors on the law review who are doing the exact same thing. Um, a friend of mine is doing his about gaming casino law, and he has done the same thing uh, with including it on his resume just to indicate that interest um, to the employers who are reading it. So just as a, as a way of putting yourself out there, separating yourself from the pack, I always recommend that. And like I said, always happy to be a resource to anyone who might have any questions about uh, law review. And just as a reminder to our audience, uh, please feel free to submit questions via the Q&A. Uh, we just had our first question come in. Uh, so this is from an anonymous attendee, so I'll read the question out loud. Uh, in your experience when it comes to hiring, how important are grades in an industry that is super competitive? Well, I think it depends on what kind of firm you are applying to, quite frankly. If you want to go to the what I would one of the larger firms, they are often interested in where you went to law school and, and what your grades are. Um, I mean, I don't want to dismiss the importance of grades because they they do tell certain things that you're, you're working hard, how organized you are. Uh, but, um, you know, my law firm may be different. It depends upon what, what where you are as a as someone coming out of law school. Um, uh, your grades are probably more important. Somebody who's been in the industry 10 years, nobody really I don't want to say nobody cares. So I, I, I think it helps if I see somebody who has a, a good grades. Uh, uh, I'm obviously going to take notice of that. Uh, but it 
it, it, it is probably less important for smaller law firms. I mean, is you know than, than than larger law firms, and it depends on what area of of the law you're doing. Maybe if you're doing transactional stuff, uh, kind of stuff. If you're if you're doing you, know, you mentioned copyright or you're doing intellectual property, although that's a very niche field. And if you have an engineering background, so I, I think it's important. I think it's the reality is for larger law firms. Uh, if you're going to go work in Skadden Arps, they probably it's going to be a lot more important than, quite frankly, if you apply to my law firm. But I'm looking for different things. I'm looking for someone who's a hard worker. I'm looking for somebody who can uh, ha have a backbone uh, who, because I deal with judges uh, and the judges are my juries. I'm looking for somebody who's going to get along with people. If you have Albert Einstein and he and he makes everybody in your office man, you can't get any work done. It doesn't really help. So it depends. It depends what you want to do. If you want to do mergers and acquisition, I think if you have an A as opposed to a C, if that's how you guys still do it, I think you're going to be much more marketable. Uh, so it, it helps, but I won't get too, you know, I won't get too upset if it's not if your grades aren't exactly where you, you want them. I mean, if you fail, you know, if it takes you five years to get through law school and you fail every class, that's one thing. But if you get a B, I don't think anybody cares if you get a B in property uh, for, for most, most employers, or at least for me. And that really speaks to just how competitive the law school process is with, we all know we're being graded on a curve and some law schools are definitely known for being a little bit more cutthroat of an environment than others. Uh, I've been very uh, appreciative since I've been at Drexel in the last year and a half uh, to notice that it really is a relatively supportive environment, even though we know we're all being graded against each other in the courses, um, especially in the 1L courses. Uh, it's a relatively supportive environment. Everyone really does look out for each other and, and we all understand that we're only able to help each other out as best we can and that you know the rising tide helps all ships and, and whatnot um but everything you said makes a lot of sense as far as ultimately there's some personality traits the the work ethic and so on joe biden i think is the first president uh who's a lawyer who hasn't gone to like well, you uh, harvard or yale or one of those places so he, he made it he went to syracuse and he's the president so he he, he did all right i think I, I, the other thing is you know your first job particularly today is not your last job. And it's more important to get into, into the field if you can do it that you want to get into and then get experience. If you're, if, if you have to, you know, let's, let's say you get into a sports law firm, whatever that means, uh, that's a whole nother discussion and you're not making a lot of money, but you can pay your bills and you, and, and so maybe you have to take a, in essence, a quotes, an internship to, to get into the field you want. It's always easier to get a job when you have a job. If I look at if I look at Sean's resume and I said, "What have you been doing the last three years?" and he said, "I'm really good at fantasy football," and I and I see Lewis's resume and I see, well, the last three years he 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 worked at this job and then he was a waiter at night and he comes to me and he says, "You know, I, I I'll do anything to get into this field of law." That that impresses me more. Um, it's it's it, you have to really want to succeed and be willing to do the things that are necessary to succeed. You know, capping off uh, some of the last topics you had spoken about, especially with regards to fields of law, um, as as you remember, uh, we had discussed uh, Mr. Barnes. One of the last things I had actually spoken with him about was uh, what he thought would be um, kind of like the future. Uh, fields of law like what do what did he think would, would be the highest demand uh 
with respect to uh, the fields that you do practice. Uh, his response at the time was, I think, intellectual property. Uh, and if not intellectual property, he said, we could always use a damn good litigator, which, <laughs> which as you've said, was actually a major interest of yours. Um, so I guess my question is, for those of us who say, you know, don't stick solid to sports law and entertainment law, what do you think would be a likely alternative uh, in the future? I, I mean, like not everyone just sticks to one field of law as they start out. I mean, you know, it doesn't always work out that way, I presume. Uh, so what do you think is most likely uh, to be a bustling, booming kind of industry in the future? Well, let me answer this in two parts. First of all, expand your idea of what sports law is. Uh, I think there was a reference to casinos. Uh, if you follow, my daughter's a soccer player at college, so I, I watch a lot of the English Premier League. And if you see English Premier League, just about every jersey has a sports co betting company on it, and they're coming to the States. So, you know, that's an area that, that interfaces or interacts with sports. You might not see it at... You have regulatory issues, with, with, you know, and all these all, all these other things. You have licensing deals. Licensing is a big part of sports. I mean, um, you go to the stadium and you see XYZ is the official hospital of the Philadelphia Eagles or something. So that's involved. You have employment law where uh, you the, the, the players, the, the team, where you have to develop policies in terms of how to treat, treat people. I think you have with this... Uh, uh, racial justice has come to the fore, how that's going to play out in terms of uh, not just, uh, uh, you know, sports teams and sports companies. Um, but that that's an issue that's a, that that's a, that's affecting everything. You have collective bargaining agreements. Uh, you, you have all these, you have sports agents, you, you have all these things. So that's the first thing, expand your idea of maybe what sports law and, and, and entertain attainment uh, is in terms of the future look we're a technologically based society now you have uh, computers you have biomedical engineering you have all these sorts of things and um you know if i told you uh okay learn how to code and uh, maybe get an engineering degree and go into patent law yeah you can get that but if you hate it if that's not what you want to do then that's not a great thing. Uh, we still need the thing about law that people forget. The, the advantage of law is that you're a critical thinker. Um, and and I probably, if I told you my attendance record at law school, you might you might shut off this this Zoom webinar right now. But I can tell you, it does teach you how to think, uh, and and that's what people need. So you don't have to. You know, you don't have to become a computer scientist just because we're a technologically based company, but you do have to keep abreast of technology. I mean, you can tell me I had to be told how to mute my my. Uh, uh, <laughs> I actually knew how to do it. I didn't realize what Lewis was saying. So it, it's not a question. Of, I mean, look, if I told you, uh, I'd say, yeah, go into biomedical engineering or or patent law for all these, you know, these medicines that are coming out, but. But get a good founded, a good well-rounded education, expose yourself to different law school classes. And, and then, look, let's let's be let's let's try to be real about this. You know, some of you will, you know, are going to be superstars and you'll get 20 
20 job offers, and then some of you are going to get one. And you should take that, that job offer. First of all, they're paying you. It's going to teach you a certain area law. You're going to have a job, and, and then you go forward. But if you have a passion, you should try to follow it. Uh, uh, I was telling, uh, I think I was speaking to Lewis before. I'll be quick. And I don't know the guy, but it's funny what you remember. Lewis was telling me from Cherry Hill. I, I had a case 30 years ago, and I don't remember why I remember this. this, this, this he, we were both kids. He was working for his dad, and we had a case together. We were talking. He was telling me how he wanted to get into representing, uh, be a basketball agent. And he told me how he knew some people from LaSalle. He told me he went to the certification process. Um and I don't know why I remember his name. And that's what he did. And that guy now who's a lawyer is running the Knicks. His name is Leon Rose. I've never seen him before or since. I don't know a lot about him. So if you want to, if you want to become a sports agent, try to do it. But it's like being an actor, too. You, you know, if at some point it doesn't work out, it doesn't mean you're not a failure. It means you take what you're interested in and you go in a different direction. I think if you if you're saying all I want to do is be a uh this uh go go and do it but but there's a lot of interesting things i would have never thought that workers compensation was interesting i really like it i meet a lot of people um it's a fast-paced environment uh i'm not the person a person necessarily wants to spend eight hours a day writing a brief now maybe if you want to be that person there's nothing wrong then you then you look for an environment where you're doing briefs there, there are a lot of big firms and that that and and small firms as well that need good brief writers so you just, you just have to you know keep an open mind and pursue your dream and because it doesn't work out the first time it's you're not you're not a failure um you, you're not you're not a failure because people have ideas when i ask you you know you want to be in sports law what does that mean and do you really know what the nuts and bolts of it is? you know the, the, like for example the general counsel's that I deal with, they're not on the field, you know, making a decision whether or not Deshaun Watson is going to the Jets. They're running, helping run the day-to-day -day operations and, and giving good legal advice re regarding the day-to-day -day activities of the team. I, I, in fact, I have offered myself up as a third-string quarterback, and I told them I would take this league minimum and I wouldn't be a disruption to the team. And I've still not received an offer as we speak here today. The Jets could use that sometimes. Uh, you know, we wonder sometimes what's going on with their roster. Uh, but on that note, I think those are some wonderful bits of advice. Um, and I think that's a great point for us to wrap up with this webinar. Uh, so, Randy, I just want to thank you again for your time this afternoon. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And um, I'm sure the organization um, and all the members in attendance are really grateful to hear from you as well. Well, thank you very much. And just one quick paternal statement. You, you, all you guys, guys and women, I use that inclusively, take care of yourselves. You're in a very difficult environment. I, I read a quote where one out of four college kids are committing suicide and you're not in normal times. You, you're, you're trying to mold your futures, figure out where you're going. And, and I mean this seriously. If, if you need help, there is no shame in doing that. If I can be of any help, if anybody has a question, please, you can call me or email me. I'm happy to talk to you. It doesn't have to be about if it's just a general question. I'm happy to, to do that. I hope you and your families are well. And I hope as we finally seem to be moving out of the pandemic, everybody stays safe. But good luck, work hard, and things things, even when they don't seem they will, they will work out. 
likewise wishing all the best to you and, and your family and thank you again so much for the wonderful advice and your time this morning wow what an insightful conversation i know i speak on behalf of myself the organization the podcast committee and everyone listening who's a young attorney and a law student when we give our sincerest thank you once again to randy for all of that practical advice be sure to look out for our next episode coming very soon an interview with title IX expert dr ellen starowski and in the meantime make sure you're subscribed on apple Podcasts or spotify and stay tuned Rush Sports and Entertainment Law Stories is presented by the Drexel University Thomas R. Klein School of Law Sports and Entertainment Law Society. The organization is led by co-presidents Francesca Spinelli and David Samuel, Treasurer Ainsley Rhodes, and Secretary Louis Sorokin. This program would not be possible without the efforts of our podcast committee led by Louis Sorokin, alongside Vinny Simhadri, Ainsley Rhodes, Kevin Gilligan, Sean Morales, Karina Braun, Emily Paladinetti, David Samuel, and Francesca Spinelli. This episode was recorded with the express consent of the speaker and adapted from its original Zoom webinar version for publication with production by Louis Sorokin. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at DrexelSELS to stay up to date and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.